you have your Bibles, would you find John chapter 13? We're going to have to put 1 Peter on pause for a week or two. John chapter 13. Today we'll mark our first church-wide sit-down meal together since all the nonsense with COVID and so forth. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. The fellowship of the body. Breaking bread together. Stuffing our faces. Boy, I love it. And in preparation for that, as I began to study this week, my mind went more towards a passage of Scripture where Jesus was sitting down with his disciples, really for the last formal meal that they would share together. Now, they would eat together again after his resurrection, but as far as a formal set-down meal, we have that recorded in the Gospels. It's where Jesus implemented the Lord's Supper. We often describe it as the Last Supper. And in John 13, we see Jesus doing something at that meal that is kind of awkward and odd for Jesus because of the position he held. But in what he did, he was teaching a very valuable lesson. So I want us to look at that today and see what we glean from it. In John chapter 13, beginning of verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here in this passage, we see Jesus, who we acknowledge as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the majesty of all majesty, the ruler of all creation, bowing down and washing the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. 
Now, such a menial task was usually reserved for a slave. By no means would the master do this, only the slave. The customary footwear of the era was sandals. Your paved road consisted of a dirty, dusty, gravelly mix. And that was the good road. And so by the time people walked everywhere they went, everyone's feet became a sweaty, dirty, gooey mess. When you were invited into a home, the host would provide a means for your feet to be washed. It was customary. Reclining at a low table to share a meal together with dirty feet was offensive. And so it was customary that a guest's feet should be washed and cleansed. And here Jesus has observed this formal meal of the Passover celebration with his disciples. And it says Jesus girded himself with a towel. And Jesus stooped and bowed before the disciples. And Jesus took the role of a slave and washed their dirty feet. I want us to look at what transpired here in this text and see what Jesus is telling his followers within the church to do. He taught his disciples a lesson that apply to everyone who comes into the family of faith and belongs to the body of Christ. So let's jump in. The very first thing I want you to see is the role that we assume. You see, there's a position we assume within the body of Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus, when we are born again into the family of God, we assume a particular role. We assume the role that Jesus has exemplified in this passage. That of a humble, meek, and loving servant. We are to assume this role. The humble, meek, and loving servant role. Now, I know you Bible scholars are already saying, now wait a minute. In more than one place, the New Testament says God positions every person within the body as he sees fit. And each individual has a particular role within the body. Some serve as hands and some as feet and some as the nose and some as the eyes and so forth. We don't all have the exact same role. And as God places us, we all make the body complete. You're right. I can't refute that. The scriptures say that. You have a place within the church, and it's something you're called to do within the body to make it complete. But within that role, you have another role that applies to all of us. Another position that applies no matter what you're called to do within the kingdom. That position is of a humble, meek, and loving servant to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus here assumes the lowliest position of servant. He takes the lowliest spot. He doesn't take the seat of honor. He takes the lowliest, most debased seat. That of a foot washer. This was reserved for the lowliest ranking slave in the household. In fact, among Jewish households, a Jewish slave wouldn't do it if there was a Gentile slave. That's who would do it. 
Not only was it the position of a slave, it was the position of the lowest slave to wash the feet. And that's the position Jesus takes here among his disciples. A position of humble, loving service. He takes the lowliest of the lowly positions to serve his followers. My friends, within the body of Christ, we must assume the role of humble, meek, and loving service. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or on the women's team or on the evangelism team or you work with kids or youth. It doesn't matter if you're the person who sets up chairs and no one knows you ever set up the chairs or you take care of the outside of the church or you do something here, you do something there. The reality is this, every single one of us who are part of the body of Christ should assume the position of a humble, meek, and loving servant to one another. That's what Jesus exemplifies here. Loving service to one another. We're to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ the same way Jesus served his disciples in this passage. Not looking for the lofty position, not looking for the prominent position, not looking for the recognition, but girding ourselves and bowing before someone else to tend to their needs. That's what we're called to do in the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus has given us an example. In verse 15, he says, we should do as he has done. Well, what has he done? The scripture says he girded himself with a towel, filled a basin with water, and washed the disciples' feet. He did the most menial task for the benefit of another. And he has stipulated we emulate his example. He has stipulated that we ourselves be willing to do the same for one another. To provide a loving service to each other even in the most menial tasks. Serving with humility to the point that I'm willing to assume the lowliest position in the body even if I'm uncomfortable with it, that I might serve in love those who are in the family of God. That's the position we're called to. That's the role we're called to assume. We're called to emulate Jesus in this. We emulate Jesus just as Jesus, the Bible says, being in the form of God, didn't think it robbery to be equal of God. It says of Jesus that he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. The king of all eternity left the glory of heaven to assume a human figure, to take on flesh, God incarnate, and not just come as a person, but to take on the form of a bondservant, to come and serve, not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's who we're supposed to emulate. That's the attitude we're supposed to emulate. That's the heart we're supposed to emulate. A heart of loving service to others. In 1 John, the Bible says that when I profess personal faith in Jesus, I should walk just as he walked. Well, for me to do that, that means I must gird myself, bow before my brothers and sisters, and serve them. I must be willing to assume the lowliest of the low positions and do whatever it takes. 
I must gird myself and stoop before my brothers and sisters that I might serve them with humility and love. This is not appealing to everyone. It cuts across the grain of human nature. But the scriptures admonish us to actively demonstrate the love of Christ by serving one another. All throughout the Gospels and the Epistles, throughout the New Testament, you can read one form of service after another. There's too many to go through today, but the Bible does describe things like serving one another by simply being deliberate in seeking to serve one another. It mentions bearing one another's burdens as we serve each other in love. It speaks of things like working to restore my brother or sister who has fallen in their faith by serving them. It speaks of being an edifier, being an encourager, stirring up love and good works among my brothers and sisters. It talks about serving in love so that my love covers the multitude of sin, not points it out. It talks about promoting unity simply from a heart of loving service. It talks about esteeming esteeming others better than myself, laying aside my selfish ambition and conceit for the benefit of someone else, considering what's best for my brother, considering what's best for my sister, not what I want, serving in humility and love. On and on and on, the New Testament gives examples of what it's like to practice humility and loving service towards one another. Jesus here exemplifies it by washing feet because that was the lowliest, most dirty thing he could have done. And then he tells us, emulate my example. Do as I have done. Serve one another however you must serve. You see, I think the premise here is simply this. When we abide in the love of Christ, seeking to emulate him, each of us will seek, each of us will seek to be a humble, meek, loving servant of the other. If I genuinely abide in his love and seek to follow his example, I will become this loving servant to my brothers and sisters. This was a lesson, my friends, often lost on these disciples. Just previously here in the Gospel of John, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be the first? Who's going to be the best? It's an ongoing argument they continually have with each other. Who's going to have the most prominent position? Who's going to get to have the best seat next to Jesus? Who's going to have the best job in the kingdom? And time and again, Jesus has had to bring them back and tell them, listen, The first is going to be last, and the last is going to be first. In fact, it goes on to say, if you want to be the greatest, you must become the slave to all. He pinpoints directly this idea. In fact, he tells them boldly, look at me. I have come to serve and not to be served, to give my life a ransom for many. Don't worry about the position you have in my kingdom. Worry about serving others in my kingdom. The greatest will be the last and be the servant of all. You see, as we gather as a body of Christ, there's a lot of things we like to preach on and teach on and talk about. But there's some things that are uncomfortable to us. Like swallowing our pride so that we can serve one another. Or setting aside our personal agendas that we can serve the benefit of our brothers and sisters. 
coming down off our high horse that we might stoop low enough to serve one another. But the reality is, Jesus said, as I have done, you also should do. Serve one another with humility, with love. I wonder, my friends, what is keeping you from girding yourself and bowing to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it pride? Is it selfish ambition? Is it just the thought of, I don't want to do something I'm comfortable with? See, Jesus says you're called to assume a role. The role of humble and loving servant. But he gives you good reason for that. Let's look at that. Let's look at the reason we're willing to do this. See, there's a reason we're willing to even accomplish this or try this or be a part of this. Jesus gives good reason here. He speaks of the motivation. In fact, our motivation for humble, loving service is the humble, loving service of Christ in our lives. Why would I be willing to stoop and serve the brethren, the sisters of Christ, the body of Christ, because the service Jesus has provided to me, that's my motivation. That's my reason. And it all goes back to a cleansing. That's what he's teaching here. The cleansing that Jesus provides through his sacrificial death. That is the motivation for our willingness to serve. When it comes right down to it and we consider what Jesus has done to rescue us out of sin, to cleanse us from the filth of sin, to pardon us from the condemnation of sin, when we really consider what Jesus has done for us, is there anything we shouldn't be willing to do for him? Ultimately, that's our motivation. The cleansing he provides. Listen to the words out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer sacrifices of praise to God. That is our fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. There in Hebrews, the text mentions Jesus sanctifying us by his own blood, and the result is our worship of him. And it pinpoints a couple of things. It starts with Jesus offering his blood on God's holy altar that our sin could be forgiven, that our forgiveness could be purchased, that our atonement was provided for. The reason we have hope of eternity, of hope of heaven, a hope of forgiveness, is that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for the remission of our sin. Because of that, Hebrew says, our response to that, our response to Christ sanctifying us with his own blood is our worship of him with sacrifices of praise and humble service. What that relates to then is this. The sacrifice of humble service is my humble, loving service of others 
as I do good to them. And the scripture says, with that, God is well pleased. When I am willing to lovingly serve others, the Bible says God is well pleased. And what's my motivation? The reality that Jesus purchased my forgiveness with his own blood on the cross of Calvary. He has cleansed me. And the price he paid to cleanse me was so great, I owe him everything. Even my willingness to serve in a debased, menial way, if that's what it takes. I want you to see some specifics of what Jesus said about being cleansed. For example, he says only those cleansed by Jesus have a place in God's kingdom. Jesus points out here in verse 8 that if you are not cleansed through faith in him, you have no part in God's kingdom. You're an outsider. The Bible says there in verse 8, Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus says, if I am not the one you go to to have your sins forgiven, then you have no part in God's kingdom. You have no place in heaven. You are not a child of God. To have a relationship with the Lord requires seeking the cleansing that only He can provide. And so we see that those who come to Jesus in repentance through faith in him are cleansed from the defilement of sin. And they escape the punishment of sin. But it's only because they come to Jesus in faith to receive forgiveness. To escape the punishment of sin, to escape the condemnation of sin, that only is possible, it's only available because of the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Some of you may not realize it, but the Word of God says that each of us stand condemned before Him because we all stand in sin. We were born into sin, separated from God because of sin, destined to be eternally separated from God. But God, not willing that any of us should perish, made a way for that to change. God the Son, Jesus, came into this world, took our sin, died on the cross, took our punishment that we might escape the punishment of sin. He was buried and rose again victorious over sin and death so that anyone who would call out to him in faith, admitting, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe in you and I'm trusting you to forgive me, to be my Savior. If you do it, you're saved, the Bible says. Saved from what? Saved from the punishment of sin. Saved from the condemnation of sin. You're no longer separated from God. You're One of God's children, you're a part of God's family. But it only happens through Jesus. Only he can bring that cleansing. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only one who can redeem us from sin, who can purify us to be one of God's own children and set aside for good works that God has planned for us. The Bible teaches that faith in Christ brings to us the adoption into God's family, whereby we're united together as a true family of faith. And united as a family of faith, we're united with hearts to serve one another. All because of the cleansing of Jesus. There are those who have no desire to serve others this way. 
simply because they are not a part of the family. If you're not a part of the family, you have no desire to serve the family. Some of you here today may not even be a part of the family of God. You have no desire to serve in the kingdom. You're not a part of the kingdom. You're an outsider looking in. Left to your own devices. Left without hope. But you don't have to be there. Because God is welcoming you to join the family. To become a part of his kingdom. You see, those who have not received the cleansing of Jesus cannot be a part of God's family. That statement Jesus makes in verse 8 is a definite statement. There's no wiggle room. There's no debate. There's no negotiation. It is a definite statement. Those without his cleansing in no way can be a part of his kingdom. There's no negotiation with God on this. There's no making deals with God on this. To seek to be unified with God, to seek to be right with God, to seek to be a part of God's family in any other way, then faith in Jesus will leave you sorely disappointed and left on the outside. That's just the reality. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says that we are saved because of God's grace through his power and is totally and distinctly apart from our own deeds. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation or forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to merit it, to deserve it. It is simply because of God's love for us, he offers it. And it's by his power, he secures it. See, it's impossible to be cleansed by our own actions, our own deeds, our own attitudes, our own efforts. In the Gospels, you read about Jesus having interactions with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a very religious group. They followed the Mosaic law to a T. They had added laws upon the law, and they followed everything. Outwardly, they looked holy. Outwardly, they were pious and righteous. But Jesus said inwardly, they were full of death. Because their own deeds didn't make them righteous with God. It's a matter of the heart. You see, that's really what it gets down to. Has Jesus cleansed your heart? In John chapter 1 that I read just at the beginning of the service, verses 12 and 13 speaks about becoming children of God. And it says it's through God's power by His grace and it's apart from our own efforts. In fact, it says... It is not because of our blood, that is our heritage, our lineage, our family background. You don't become a child of God because your parents are born-again believers. You don't become a child of God because your grandparents are righteous people. You don't have the right to claim your position in God's kingdom because your family has been so involved in the church. Doesn't matter. It goes on to say, not of the will of the flesh. That's your personal efforts in righteousness, your own good deeds. The very best you can do in life, all the best deeds you can do, all the good deeds you can do will leave you in a place called hell. And it goes on to say it's not of the will of man. That is man-made philosophies, man-made ideologies, man-made religions. In other words, you can't follow your religion and become a part of God's family. You can't practice all the religious rules in the world and make yourself right with God. There's only one way to be right with God. 
Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the book of Acts, it says, there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. You want to be right with God? You want to have a part in God's kingdom? You want to have your place within God's family? You come to Jesus with a repentant heart, expressing faith in Jesus. Only the cleansing that Jesus brings is sufficient to make us a part of God's family. So what is the right response when we understand this? What is the right response to the cleansing that Jesus offers? The right response is, yes, Lord, give me all I can get. Notice in verse 9 what Peter says. Peter's response. When Jesus says, I have to make sure you're cleansed. I have to wash you if you're going to be a part of me. Peter says, whoa, Jesus. In that case, not just my feet, my hands, my head, all of me. Jesus, everything. Everything, Jesus, here I am, everything. That's the right response. When we learn, when we become aware that in sin we're separated from God, we're in need of spiritual cleansing and only Jesus can bring that cleansing, here's how we respond. Yes, Jesus, I want all of you and I'm giving you all of me. That's how you respond. Well, I got to say just certain prayer. No, you don't. You got to say, Jesus, I want all of you and here's all of me. That's how you respond. That's how you respond to Jesus. You call out to him in your own words from the sincerity of your heart saying, yes, I admit I'm a sinner, but Jesus, I believe in you and who you are and what you've done. And I'm telling you, Jesus, I want you to forgive me and fill my life and I'm giving you my entire life, Jesus. I want to be cleansed and be a part of your kingdom. You call out to him. That's what you do. You call out to him. You completely yield your life to the lordship of Jesus, placing your trust in him. You give him everything about yourself. That's what you do. Notice something else Jesus points out here about being cleansed. We find out here that Jesus knows who is truly clean and who is not. There in verses 10 and 11, we find out Jesus cannot be fooled. He knows who is truly cleansed through faith in him and who's just a poser. Jesus was not fooled by Judas at all. He knew what was happening. He knew the real state of Judas's heart. He knew that Judas wasn't a genuine disciple. Judas was a poser. Now Judas had the other disciples fooled. Judas talked the right way, he walked the right way, he acted the right way, he was involved in the right activities. He did all the stuff the disciples did. But in his heart, he wasn't right. And Jesus knew it. See, Jesus looked at Judas when everyone else looked at Judas and said, Judas is clean. Jesus looked at Judas and says, oh, no, he's not. In fact, that's exactly what he says. You are not all clean. He was talking to Judas. See, Jesus doesn't look at our outward appearance, our outward works, our good deeds. He looks to the heart. Jesus peers past who you are and the things you say and looks straight into your heart. He sees it right now and he knows where you stand with him. Are you cleansed through faith in him? Or are you defiled, still in sin, separated from him? You fool me all day long, but you'll never fool Jesus. 
That's the reality of it. He knows who is truly clean and who's not. Not one of us here can fool Jesus. You may fool everyone else in your life, but you'll never fool Jesus. He knows if you're truly clean or he knows if you're just a poser. Let's look at one last thing Jesus taught about being cleansed here. We see here that those who receive the cleansing of Jesus through faith are fully forgiven and cleaned. There in verse 10, Jesus teaches a very important spiritual truth. He is revealing that the salvation process is permanent, eternal, and it never needs to be repeated. Once Jesus presents us faultless and blameless before God the Father, there is no more condemnation before God. Colossians 1 and Romans 8 both speak to that. The reality is, once we come to a genuine faith in Jesus and He cleanses us from sin, He offers us His forgiveness, He takes us out of the dominion of darkness and places us in the kingdom of light that cannot be undone. We are cleansed. We are blameless and faultless, not because of who we are, because of the work of Christ applied to our lives. And that's permanent. You don't lose it. You do not lose that salvation he has brought into your life. When you come to know Jesus personally, you're born again. You're imparted with a new spirit. The reality is, as a child of God, you still struggle with that flesh you were born into, that human nature. There's still a war that goes on, and yes, you'll still stumble into sin, but when a cleansed child of God stumbles into sin, he or she does not require a complete cleansing again. You don't have to be resaved. You simply need to be cleansed of that specific sin, that area you've stumbled into. You need your feet washed. You don't need the whole body washed again. That's what Jesus is referring to there in verse 10 when he says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean. Just wash your feet. That's the whole intent of 1 John 1 9. We use that verse all the time that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That passage of scripture is intended for born again believers. That's not intended for lost people. That is born again believers. You are a child of God. You have been cleansed from sin. The condemnation of sin has been removed from you, but you sin again. What do you do? You confess it to your heavenly father who cleanses you of that and gives you a do over. You start again. Let's do it right this time. In fact, we talk about the cleansing of born-again believers. There is an ongoing cleansing that happens in your life as a child of God. We talk about this process of sanctification quite often where we grow into the character of Christ. But part of that process of sanctification It's not just growing in the character of Christ. It is also the ongoing cleansing of things that hinder us from being conformed to the image of Christ. As I grow in the character of Christ and I grow in my faith and I mature in faith, the Holy Spirit is continually cleansing off elements of my life that would hinder me in being conformed to Jesus. 
Cleansing away those habits I need to let go of. Cleansing away those influences I don't need anymore. There's this ongoing cleansing within our lives, if we're honest. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so today, Jesus calls us to assume the role he assumed. To humbly and lovingly serve one another. Because he has cleansed us from our sin. And set us in the kingdom of light. And because of that, there are some responsibilities that we accept. Let's look at the responsibility we accept as we close today. I have the role of servant Jesus has given me. The reason I'm willing to do that is because he has cleansed me. But as I've come into the family of God through faith in him, there's responsibility that I must accept. As followers of Christ, we are responsible to obey him and to abide in his example. You see, if I am truly a follower of Jesus, then I am responsible before my Lord to obey him and to follow his example. If I say I'm a disciple... That is one who learns from and emulates another of Christ, then I must obey him and abide in his example. I'm responsible for this. Jesus holds me accountable to this. I believe in verse 14, he draws our attention to this when he says, You also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, I've given you the example, I've told you what I expect, now I hold you accountable. You ought to wash one another's feet. I am holding you responsible for serving each other with love. You are accountable to me, I believe is what Jesus is saying. The expectation of our Lord has been laid before us. It's an expectation to humbly and lovingly serve one another. And if we love him, we will do it. Because is that not what he says If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if I love Jesus, then I will keep the commandment to lovingly serve my brothers and sisters. In fact, Jesus, in this same chapter, is going to go on to tell his disciples, if you really want the world to know you're my followers, they're going to know it by how you love one another. If you really want the world to recognize You're a follower of Jesus. Let the world look inside the church and see how you serve one another, and then they'll know. When you serve one another in love, the world will know you are born again followers of Christ. Our responsibility is to obey Jesus in serving one another. That means, my friends, To refuse to humbly and lovingly serve others is to disobey Jesus. If I will not let go of my pride or my selfishness or whatever it is to serve others, I'm living in a disobedient lifestyle to Jesus. I am disobeying him. Refusal to be this lowly servant is to reject the example of Christ and his admonition. In fact, 
I would dare say this, the follower of Christ who refuses to humbly and lovingly serve others is actually exalting himself or herself above Christ. If you say, no, I'm not going to serve others, I'm too good for that, you're saying I'm better than Jesus. Those aren't my words. They're his in verse 16, where he says, A servant's not greater than his Lord, than his teacher, than his master. If Jesus was willing to stoop and do the most menial, lowly act of service to others, who are we to say something is beneath us? When we say that, we're saying, Jesus, I'm just better than you. And you're like, oh, I'd never say it. Oh, you wouldn't? Search your heart. You may have already said it. I don't ever want to be that one who has the attitude that says, I won't do that. It's beneath me. Because as soon as I do that, I'm telling Jesus, Jesus, I'm just a cut above you. But here's how he ends this lesson. Verse 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. To accept the responsibility to serve others with humility and love is to be blessed. Jesus promises we will be blessed. Those who will humbly serve others find divine happiness in their lives. This just happens. It's imparted to you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's often expressed when you talk to people. They'll say something like this. You know, I got more out of serving them than they got out of me serving them. You know, I did that and I think I was more blessed than they were blessed. You're right. You know why? Because Jesus promised if you'll do this, he'll make sure you're blessed. There'll be this divine happiness and joy, contentment within you because you serve someone else. This is a, this is a 100% return investment. You can invest your money in a lot of places, but I'm going to tell you what, if you invest your service the way Jesus says to invest it, there's a 100% return. It's guaranteed because Jesus promises if you'll do this, you will be blessed. You ever notice that the people in the church who do some of the most obscure, unnoticed things are the happiest? Some of the people in the church who give the most of their own time to show up at other people's homes and take care of this and do that are the happiest? You know why? Because if you know to do these things and you do them, you are blessed. That's why. You are called to a role of service. Your motivation is the cleansing Jesus has provided you you have a responsibility to obey him, to emulate him, but he guarantees you'll be blessed if you do it. It's a win-win for you if you do it. So I ask today, friends, what is keeping you from humble and loving service to others? Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I just don't think I'm even a part of the family of God. I don't think I even have a position in the kingdom because I've never asked Jesus to cleanse me, to be the one who can forgive me, to rescue me out of sin.
Well, today's the day to do that. The Bible says it's so easy. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it's done. In other words, from the sincerity of your heart, you simply call out to him in your own words and say, Jesus, I want all of you and I'm giving you all of me today. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just stand to your feet. We're going to have an invitation right now. The altars are open. And I'm going to ask you to respond to God. Whatever you need to do. Do you need to meet Jesus personally as your Savior? Well, come and let me help you do that. Show you in God's Word a little more detail. Maybe you've already called out to Jesus. You've already invited Him to come into your life and forgive you, but you've never told anyone. I'd invite you to come up here. Let me pray for you. Maybe you're here and you're a child of God, there's no doubt. But when it comes to fulfilling the role of serving others the way Jesus has, you've been hesitant. There's been something that has kept you from doing it. And maybe right now is the moment you need to confess that to God and let go. Ask Him to remove the barriers and the obstacles. Maybe you need to ask God to transform your attitude and your heart. Maybe God's putting someone on your heart right now who needs to benefit from someone just coming to love on them and serve them. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have loved us and made a way for our sin to be forgiven, made a way for us to be cleansed and know you personally, and to have a position in your kingdom whereby we can share the love imparted to our hearts with others. Lord, I would pray that you would burden our hearts to live out your love in us and through us as we serve those around us. I pray, Lord, you would open up avenues of service whereby we can be actively engaged in doing what is well-pleasing to you. And God, for those who have watched online or even been here in person who have never come to the place where they've given their life to Jesus and received his forgiveness. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and would continue to bring clarity to their minds about what they need to do and give them boldness, Lord, to respond. Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to gather with my church family and worship you and ask your blessing on all these folks now. In the name of Jesus.